You're about to watch part two of episode 14. If you missed part one, you don't want to miss it. Go back and see the video list on this channel and check it out. All right. So um, where are we the 70th week? What are we to make of the confirming of the covenant in verse 27? This surely refers to the prophesied covenantal uh, verse of 24. These actions result from the perfect covenantal jubilee, the 70 weeks, and a result of Daniel's covenantal prayer. This covenant must be the divine covenant of God's redemptive grace. Messiah comes to confirm the covenantal promises, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. And that is from Luke uh, 172. And what is Luke 1? Anybody know? Anybody heard of a wonderful person named Mary? Oh, this was Zachariah's time. This is Zachariah's song. So uh, Zachariah, he prophesied, Praise be the Lord to Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is this this is the father of As John. he said through his holy prophets of long ago. This is the father of John the Baptist. Salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant that an oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising of the sun will come from heaven to shine in those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. He is prophesying of John the Baptist, making the way of the Lord and ushering in the kingdom of Daniel. Okay. But some of these little intricacies throw people off and that's why we're doing some of these little intricacies. All right. So Jesus, that's in Luke um, 1 and that was kind of around verse 72. He confirms the covenant by his death on the cross. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. So if he is confirming the covenant, yeah, he confirms this covenant, this new covenant. Hebrews talks about a new covenant. Right. And he's confirming that covenant. And Daniel sees it. Why wouldn't Daniel see it? Why wouldn't Daniel see this new covenant? And Jesus, I feel that we have Christianity is a separate, in, in a dispensationalist mind, Christianity is a separate religion apart from the Bible. Well, and not only that, but why would he see all of this very, very intricate, different things in kingdoms mm -hmm. and then not see anything for 2000 years and then see a thing like, like we don't matter. Like no one has mattered in between this time. That's what dispensationalists say. That's, that's what he says. I'm going to read a little bit of, um, Hebrew seven. Uh, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus became the guarantor of a better covenant. Okay. I want you to kind of get that. All right. So, um, furthermore, furthermore, the word translated confirm, which is Hebrew Higber is related to the name of the angel Gabriel who brings Daniel the revelation of the 70 weeks. He also later brings the revelation of Christ's birth. Did you know that? Did not. Is that so cool? Yeah. So I probably did. It just Gabriel wasn't right on the knew line, this whole line. prophecy. Yes. He gives the prophecy to Daniel, and it's Gabriel who goes, That's awesome. um, uh, who brings the revelation of Christ's birth. Gabriel um, is based on the Hebrew word Gibor, which is strong one. 
a concept frequently associated with the covenant of God. The related word found in Daniel 9.27 means to make strong confirm. That's good. So Gabriel's name literally is, and he's ushering in the Messiah. He's telling, he's telling the world, here we are. Uh, you know, the Messiah is coming. So to make strong, it's kind of cool. This certainly is a firm covenant for it brings about an everlasting righteousness. Daniel's prayer is particularly for Israel. And it recognizes that God promises mercy to those who love him. Therefore, the prophecy holds that the covenant will be confirmed with many for one week. The reference to the many speaks of the faithful in Israel. Thus, a contrast is introduced between he and the many. A contrast was, which appears to reflect upon the great messianic passage. Isaiah 52. Do you want to read Isaiah 52? Well, just a little bit of it. I don't have and particularly, you just you just have to look it up. I can pull up my Bible that's right here if you want it. Isaiah, particularly Isaiah fifty three eleven. So, um, Isaiah fifty three eleven. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them, him like a tender shoot. And if you're in Isaiah 53, you can take over. And like a root out of the dry ground, verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance should we desire of him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed, esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and, not, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Mm. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And there's actually a reference in this Bible to Daniel 9, 26. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence neither was any deceit found in his mouth yet it pleased the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when he shall make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the lord shall prosper him prosper in his hand he shall see of his travail and of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear That's their good. iniquities so this is kind of a really cool key part of the entire Daniel 70 weeks that I I have been waiting on pins and needles to give you guys the second half here it to comes. help you make sense of this. Okay. So you're about to give it to them? Yeah. Here it comes. All right. So here's the timing. The timing parallels that after the 62 and the 62 weeks and then the seven weeks, that's 69 weeks. While providing more detail, we know Christ's three and one half year ministry is the first half of the 70th week decidedly focusing on the Jews. For he commands his disciples. What does he say in Matthew 10? Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter into the city of the Samaritans. So even when Jesus was, was here, he wasn't entering into the Gentiles. Okay. This is a very huge deal. You have to understand how big it was that we're even here. Mm. Okay. Mm. Then for three and one half years, get this. After the crucifixion, the apostles focus almost exclusively on the Jews. They begin first in Judea because the gospel of Christ is for the Jew first. Although Daniel clearly specifies 
the event that serves as a terminus of the 69th week. He does not specify the termineth of the 70th week. Apparently, an exact event ending the 70th week is not as significant to know. Interestingly, though, at the stoning of Stephen, the first recorded martyr of Christianity, the covenantal proclamation begins turning to the Gentiles. The apostle to the Gentiles appears on the scene at Stephen's death as the Jewish persecution against Christianity breaks out. Now, Saul was consenting to his death at that time. A great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Acts informs us that Paul's mission is to take the growing faith beyond a narrow Jewish focus. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Acts 9.15 Paul's conversion shortly after Stephen's stoning is about AD 34-35. to 35. His confirming of the covenant occurs in the middle of the week. I show above that the 70th week begins with the baptismal anointing of Christ. Then after three and a half years of ministry, the middle of the 70th week, Christ is crucified. The prophecy states that by his conclusive confirming of the covenant, Messiah will, quote, bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. He does this by offering up himself as a sacrifice for sin. Now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Consequently, at his death, the temple veil rips from top to bottom. This is miraculous evidence that God is legally dis disestablishing the sacrificial system. Christ is the Lamb of God who opens up the Holy of Holies to his people. So we have this Messiah being cut off as crucifixion. And then we have three and a half years where the gospel is only going to the Jews. I am confirming my covenant with you. I love you. You are my people. And then I'm taking it to the rest of the world. And Daniel saw it and he prophesied it. And it's so simple and it's so easy. And that is the 70th week. And it all happened where the, the, the wise men came and they waited for the Messiah to come. And they knew about when he would be born. And Jesus starts his ministry and it does go for about three and a half years. And when Peter, Peter gets that vision and, and enters into Cornelius' house, they were only going to the Jews. For three and a half years, they were only going to the Jews. He was confirming the covenant with them. Mm. He confirmed the covenant with them first. He had to. He had to. It wasn't open to us yet. For three and a half years, it wasn't open to us yet. Yeah. And he finished the 70th week. And the 70th week is over. And there's no more. It's all so simple. It's all so seamless. And you can win people to Christ with this. Daniel prophesied this. It's all so beautiful. Now, so Minkle says that was important. A better covenant. We need not become Jews to please God. Correct? Absolutely. He finishes the old covenant and he finishes pulling everybody in. Yeah. He pulls everybody in under the atonement. And then he says, go take this everywhere. And then that's it. That's, that's the new, that's the new covenant. That's the new, the new deal. That's the new Jerusalem. <laughs> it's the new, it's the new Jerusalem. Now everybody's in. It's so beautiful. It's the gospel. It's the kingdom. It is the message that saves. So I want to make a correction here. Okay. Because what you're saying 
and what we just read is that the end of sacrifice, and I believe in this, I believe this because legally the end of sacrifices happened when Jesus died and became the ultimate sacrifice. Right. So AD 70 is not the middle of the 70th week when the sacrifices cease. No, it's not. No, it is the... We had said that earlier in the show. I think maybe I confused you a little bit because that's what I was, that's how I was reading it. Um, but this makes way more sense. No, Jesus actually. stopped the end of sacrifices. You didn't need them because exactly. the Jews didn't, the Jews, when they started to preach Jesus, the sacrifice, no more sacrifice. Boom. They were preaching no more sacrifice. Yeah. They were preaching. What did Peter preach? He said, repent. Salvation yeah. is yours. If you repent now, not if you go to the temple, yep. not if you do any sacrifices, yep. nothing. No, no more sacrifices. We're done. Jesus was Boom. the final sacrifice, the last sacrifice, but we see the accomplishing of uh, the the finishing of it. So I find that it really fascinating. Was, it is within a generation. I, I, you know, every so yes, we, we like to round off things. Yeah, but it is it is literally in Daniel that there's a middle of that last week. There is a demarcation, a spot that we are to look to in the middle of that week. Mm-hmm. And I just find that really interesting because we would expect in our, we like to, you know, I write somebody a check. I always round up. I just do because I like round numbers. Mm-hmm. So everyone's looking for this. Why wouldn't God have put it happening at the end of the 70th week? Right? I don't know. But there's a middle. It's it, 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 it's a timestamp that we are given in the middle of that 70th week. Hebrews chapter 8:13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and dated will soon disappear. Outdated. So, um this uh, Hebrews chapter 8 is one of those scriptures that that we use. It says, "By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. It's done. He finished it. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear." Yeah. It's obsolete, it's done. And they knew whoever wrote Hebrews I'm kind of hoping for Priscilla, but it feels masculine. Um, who um, is is outdated, and that's kind of a joke. I've been in the 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 Theo Bros on Twitter lately. They're a little bit kind of turdy on Twitter. Don't use that word. We uh, they are. They don't. They, God they is, wouldn't let. They we don't want just me to do did this. a show on etiquette. I know and I, manners. Grow up, Leah. Use I know your manners. I well. You're right. I, mm-hmm. I need to use, use I just better words. You. you know, my friend Catherine, she, I've asked her to give me. And she's given you the list. You really good memorized. insults. And I need to write them on my hands. Yes. Like, proper insults. Right. You know, you're like toe fungus. You need something better than that. All right. So how do we understand the latter portions of the verses 26 and 27? What are we to make of the destruction and the city and the sanctuary? Verse 26. What does Daniel mean by the abomination that causes desolation? Verse 27. Do not most evangelical commentators agree that this speaks of AD 70, which occurs 40 years after the crucifixion. And in this, do they not follow Josephus? Josephus applies, interestingly enough, Daniel 9, 27 to AD 70 events. In the very same manner, Daniel also wrote concerning the Roman government and that our country should be made desolate by them. And that is from Antiquities 10. Wow. Josephus says, so we have to understand that the Messiah is coming. We have the 70 weeks. When you read um, Isaiah 61, 
Jesus reads all the way up to the year of Jubilee, and then he does not say the, vengeance, the days of vengeance of our God. Which is why some dispensationalists put that 2,000 years later hasn't yeah. happened yet. Right. So in verse 26, we learn that there are two events that occur after the 69th week. Messiah is to be cut off, and the city and sanctuary are to be destroyed. Verse 27 informs us that Messiah's cutting off confirms the covenant and occurs at the halfway point of the 70th week. So Messiah's death is clearly within the time frame of the 70th week, as we expect, since he is the major figure of the prophecy. The events involving the destruction of the city and the sanctuary with the war and desolation are the consequences of the cutting off of the Messiah. They do not necessarily occur in the 70 weeks time frame. They are an amendment to the addendum. point, addendum to the point of the prophecy stated in verse 24. The prophecy anticipates, however, the destructive acts occurring in AD 70 in the divine act of sealing up or reserving Israel's sin for punishment. Israel's climatic sin is completing her transgression, verse 24, in the cutting off of the Messiah, verse 26. In response to this, God reserves her judgment for later. God will judge Israel's sin after the 70 weeks expire. He will neither forget her sin nor delay her punishment forever. This explains the very indefinite phrase, till the end of the war. Wow. The end will not occur in the 70 weeks. Today, we know the end occurs in AD 70, as Christ makes abundantly clear in Matthew 24, 15. And that's from Ken Gentry. That's really good. Jesus came to preach the year of Jubilee. Those are his words, the ultimate Jubilee. What modern end times theory does is disconnect Christ from his own prophetic fulfillment. To disconnect Christ from his own words, Jesus himself came to bring the ultimate Jubilee, 70 weeks, 7 times 70, 490 days. So here is the gap of the dispensationalism. This is from Ken Gentry. Dispensationalism, and go back if you guys don't know what that is, that started in the 1800s by a name, ban, man named John Darby. He said, this is new knowledge. We're just making this up. A rapture and a seven-year tribulation come from Daniel, and it is made-up theory that actually nobody believed in. Nobody until the late 1800s. It is a brand new I call it an occultic belief because it is outside of the Bible and it is pretty much the same as um, the, the Seventh-day Adventists and the Mormons have a, an occultic view. It's outside of the Bible. It's outside of Christian history. It is something that is made up in the mind of somebody that has no basis in scripture and is not that no Christians had followed for, uh, for 1,800 years. And we have covered it in previous episodes of Revelation Red. Right. So dispensationalism, this is the, uh, the, the, um, the, um, uh, who's the, who's the guy who writes, you. who writes the Bible? The Schofield Reference Bible. Okay. That's in Schofield Reference Bible that went to every Baptist church in the world, in America. Dwight, uh, it's got the Moody Bible Institute and all that. Dispensationalism interposes this gap or parentheses between the 69th week and the 70th week. It spans the entire church age. Like all of the church history from Jesus from until now. the triumphal entry, entry to the rapture. If there's anything you've got in your spirit now, you're like, you will, you will be appalled. Like, that don't fit. Wait, what do you mean parentheses? What? 
did Daniel say something about the president? Daniel was so specific. Don't you think he would talk? Daniel was so specific. Daniel would have said, and there will be a great long period between. He would have given way more weeks. Between the 69th and 70th week. He would have given more weeks. Yeah. He would would have given way more weeks because if they gave, if they gave, if God was giving Daniel weeks for the Messiah to come. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was wouldn't down to a specific him, specificity. Wouldn't he give another prophet weeks until the second coming? No, but Leah, no man shall know the day or the hour. The dispensational arguments for a gap of undetermined length between the 69... Undetermined length. Daniel is so specific that he said it's going to take a week to rebuild the temple. And then we're going to have these 62 weeks and then... then, and then uh, this last you have week. to use consistency in scripture. You do not get to play around. Dispensationalists talk about being literal, but they are they are literally the last thing from literal. Okay, the dispensational arguments for a gap of undetermined length between the 69th and 70th week are not convincing. Let us consider the leading arguments for this gap. All right, first, the peculiar phraseology in Daniel. Daniel places the cutting off of the Messiah after the 62 sevens, not in the 70th week. This allows for a gap. Between the 69th and 70th week, if the cutting off does not occur in the 69th or the 70th week, there must be a gap wherein it does occur. In response, it is obvious that 70 occurs after 69 (laughs) and thus fits the requirements of the statement. Consequently, such an argument does not prove that after requires a gap. Besides, Daniel only mentions 70 weeks and he most certainly does not say after 69 weeks, but not in the 70th. The dispensational gap is a gratuitous assumption. Daniel has yet to deal with the 70th week, though he does deal with the preceding 69. Thus, it is quite natural to assume this cutting off of the Messiah must be within the seven-year period covered by the remaining week, the 70th. The 70 weeks prophecy is the major overarching time frame of the prophecy. The cutting off of the Messiah is an event of unsurpassing prophetic and redemptive significance in general and is fundamental to explaining the goal of the 70 weeks. The whole point of the 70 weeks is to prophesy of the Messiah. If you were going to tell me that he's prophesying of the second coming and he's not going to prophesy of the first coming, you are insane. Oh boy. The second coming is nowhere near as important as the first coming. And you literally are saying Daniel forgets it, doesn't see it, doesn't say anything about it. Jesus coming and his crucifixion. Nothing in Daniel talks about Jesus' crucifixion if you have the 70th week and the end time dispensational theory of Daniel. There's literally nothing about Jesus in there and his crucifixion. Because it's all reserved for some future time point. Yeah, for the second coming. This is what I say about dispensationalists. They need They need a second Messiah. Mm. they don't believe in Jesus all the way. It's very sad. They don't believe that he has come to, he has completed what he came to do. Exactly. That it's an incomplete work. They're still waiting for another Messiah, a second no. savior. Uh, in response, it is obvious that the 70 weeks happens after the 69 and thus fits the requirements of the statement. All right. Daniel has yet to deal with the 70 week, though he does deal with the preceding 69 weeks. Thus, it is quite natural to assume this cutting off of the Messiah must be within the seven year period covering by the, ma- the remaining week, the 70th. The 70 weeks prophecy is the major overarching theme of the prophecy. The cutting off of the Messiah is an event of unsurpassing prophetic and redemptive significance in general. It is fundamental to explain the whole goal of the 70 weeks. Okay, in verse 24 particular, 
Second, the burden of Daniel's prophecy, the six actions of verse 24, pertain to Daniel's people Israel and his holy city Jerusalem, not the church. This is the dispensationalist would say. McLean says, the fulfillment of the tremendous events in verse 24 cannot be found anywhere in known history. These have yet to occur for Israel and events must be for the future. Okay, as we talked about before, the leading idea of the 70 weeks is the prophecy of messianic redemption. Saving, atoning power, not the second coming at all. This has nothing to do with any sort of second coming at all. Okay? The dispensationalists say that this is still to be fulfilled in Israel. This makes no sense. Um, he does this for Israel and everyone else. He actually affects this eternal redemption by his death. I truly believe that 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 the dispensationalists they they don't have a grasp of salvation or the scriptures that that would even say we have a savior. Mm. You just have Jesus' words saying that he's a savior, but you don't have the Old Testament scriptures to say that he's the savior. To say that that he came to save you. You don't have any basis. Like you don't have any underlying belief, which seems clear enough in his being cut off. As a matter of historical record, his death occurs within seven years of his baptismal anointing. Three and a half years to be exact. What is to force us outside of this unified 70-week time frame? This is what the dispensations say. Third, a fatal admission. Historically, the destruction of Jerusalem occurred in AD 70, almost 40 years after the death of Christ. Since this is given in Daniel's prophecy and is to occur within 70 weeks, the continuous fulfillment theory left without any explanation adequate for interposing an event as occurring after the 69th week by some 38 years. They're saying that what we believe doesn't have a <laughs> if it did ours is a lot closer in time than their 2000 years but i have an answer for that all right the relation of the 70 weeks in, to the temple's uh 70 80 70 destruction it is important to remember that the goal of the 70 weeks is not 80 70 or the destruction of the temple verse 24 doesn't even mention it the destruction is a later consequence of certain events brought to fulfillment within the 70 weeks. It's really good. The actual act of God sealing up or reserving the judgment, verse 24, occurs within the 70 weeks. Seal this up. Seal it up. The judgment occurs later. And Jesus comes to tell us when it would occur in that generation. It's going to happen to you. And that's when Jesus says, no man knows the day of the hour. No man knows the day of the hour. I'm coming, but you're not going to know when. I'm Whoa. coming. Be ready, but you're not going to know when. But it wasn't prophesied in the Old Testament when the temple would be destroyed. Leah, but that's really key, though. And we've, you and I have literally never talked about this. You may have oh. already thought about it, but okay. but I've we've never had this discussion. Not with yeah. Serge, not with Corey, not with anybody. Oh, I thought I had, but okay. You don't even know what I'm about to say. I thought what am just, I about to I say? thought it was just what I just said, but go ahead. No. We, we get to a point in the middle of the 70th week. Mm -hmm. And we see that that's when Jesus dies. Mm -hmm. He rises again. Mm -hmm. The temple is, or the veil is in the temple is torn, right? Sacrifices, the need, the legal need for sacrifices for salvation or anything like that ends in that moment. In the middle of the 70th week. And there's really no end. It's, it's open-ended. Right. And so when Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour, and he says it'll happen within this generation, the kind of ending of the 70 weeks there is very open ended, just kind of like the Jesus saying no man knows the day or the hour. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, it's left open. It is it is it is left open. And I think it's left open by design. Yeah. I think I think you're right and I think it's really particular to understand that the that judgment has to be, start at the house of God and that that other three and a half years is just to you guys, Israel. That's what he's like, I got to just give this to you and then and then we're sealing this up. And you guys are getting it punished. Because mm-hmm. he says, the blood of righteous Abel to Zechariah, Berechiah, who you slew. All of these punishments are coming on this generation. God was going to punish those people who didn't get, get the message in that time frame. Right. Okay. That generation. That generation. That's why he seals it up. That's why it, that's why it stops there. Because it's those people within three and a half years after Jesus' crucifixion. Those are the people that they rejected the Messiah. They rejected that message. Those are the people that were going to be punished. Right. Those people. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is from... The general tendency in prophecy. Right. So here we have more from dispensationalists. Fourth, the general tendency in prophecy. Nothing should be plainer to one reading the Old Testament than that the four of you therein provided did not describe the period of the time between the two events. This very fact confused even the prophets. First Peter uh, 1, uh, 10 through 12. The dispensationalist argues that the Old Testament prophecy often merges the first and second advents into one scene, though separated by thousands of years. Consequently, we have biblical warrant for understanding the 69th and 70th weeks as merged into one scene, although separated by a gap of thousands of years. So it is just one, even though it's separated by 2,000 years, it is just one. Now, the argument is wholly without merit. Clearly, the 70 weeks compose of a unit though subdivided into three equal parts. Unequal parts. Uh, unequal parts, sorry. It is one period of 70 weeks anticipating the events mentioned. The parts make up a unified whole. Three separate periods of weeks are not the major chronology in the Revelation. These periods, 7, 62, 1, make up the overarching time frame of the 70 weeks of years. The plural 70 weeks is followed by a singular verb, is decreed. 70 weeks... But Not our decreed, is it, decreed. The seven, it is the 70 weeks, and it is is decreed, not our decreed. There's a, like, six, so there's so these are divided in three parts, 7, 62, 1. That 62 is a pretty wide chunk of the 70 weeks. If there was going to be 2,000 years, I don't think there would have been a problem sticking it in there. Right? We've already got 62. It's not equal parts. It's 7, 62, 1. Let's throw in 475 while we're at it. Why even give the dates? Because then they say, well, Jesus said no one would know the day or hour. No, Jesus was talking about his his coming uh, on Jerusalem, his coming and destruction. That's what he was talking about. Dispensationalists even argue uh, vigorously against allowing a gap in the midst of the 70th week because the week is one. So they're like... When, it's, when, when it comes at the seven-year tribulation, there's no gap within it because the week's one. First of all, there's no connection to a tribulation and seven years in the Bible. Well, this is this is where they get it from. I'm saying that there's no tribulation tied to there that. There is. There's destruction. Not a seven-year tribulation, though. Well, and the ceiling, when you read verse 26, that's where they get it from. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. It make, it, I get where they get it from. It talks about destruction. There's and a the lot punishment. going on in the midst of that. But 
it's not all just like tribulation the well, way it that says and after three score and two weeks shall messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood and unto the and, and unto the end of the war of desolation is determined so and um it says and it shall confirm the covenant for many for one week and he shall and in the midst of the week he shall cause sacrifice and oblation to cease and the overspreading abominations of death uh uh, uh abomination he shall make desolate so that's where they get the tribulation from the end of thereof shall be over the flood i get that but but i'm telling you that are they but is but i understand just read that though i understand where they get a seven-year tribulation this is where they get it from we've seen all the movies yeah in all of the things of like seven solid years of the worst thing that you can possibly imagine is that prophesied in there no seven solid years of just of what we see in modern end times it movies. doesn't say it, it, this particular prophecy does not talk about great tribulation it says it doesn't say great tribulation here that's what i'm saying right and that's gonna, where they get it so, from but right. it's not actually it doesn't say there will be a great tribulation in these seven years we're going to get to the antichrist here in a second um so you guys can kind of get where where they get it in this seven years and the and the rapture and theory all right um so it is one by the way it is one I'm continuing a critique of dispensationalism gap theory for Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Um, fifth, the order with the prophecy. In the record of the prophecy, the destruction of the city, verse 26b, is placed before the last week, 27a. Since this occurs in 8070, we must allow a gap to account for it. This is the dispensationalist view. This argument overlooks the pe- peculiarities of the Hebrew po- poetic style. Oriental expression often confounds the Occidental concern for chronological succession. And this is what I think about with Revelation all the time. The Western framework may not be foisted upon this passage. This revelational pattern allows a parallel parallel rehearsal and expansion of the topic without requiring actual succession in time. Even classic dispensationalists understand that some prophetic passages do not flow chronologically. A better understanding of the relation between verses 26 and 27 um, is uh, given above. Six, the interpretation by Christ. The testimony of our Lord himself, Matthew 24, 15, shows that the 70th week is still in the future. That's what the dispensationalists say. This problem is already answered in, in what we've talked about. That's not a scripture that you just read. No, I said that's a dispensationalist. I know. Say. I, it sounded in the beginning because you said the testimony of our Lord himself in it's Matthew, Matthew 24, 15. The Lord cites from uh, the portion of Daniel's passage that outlines the concern of the 70 weeks themselves. There is no need for a gap in Daniel 9 to explain Christ's use of it in Matthew 24. Now, the covenant of verse 27. What about the Antichrist? Now, this gets really kind of crazy. Dispensationalists woefully misunderstand the confirming of the covenant in verse 27. They apply it to a still future benevolent ruler who makes then breaks a political covenant with Israel. This is where they get the Antichrist from. You and I have just read this. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. But what is so heretical, what is so diabolical, is they take the scripture about re, re, about um, restoring the covenant and making the covenant right, and they apply it to an Antichrist. They apply it to an evil Can person. Can we read verse 27 one more time to remind everyone what it says? And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. 
and for the overspreading of the abominations he shall make desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. This they're saying, and you've seen this in the movies. We rebuild the temple. The, the, the Antichrist comes in, brings everybody in, makes a covenant, okay? And in the midst of it, he causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease in the new rebuilt temple. Right. And then this abomination, desolation. and So that verse that and, you just yeah. read, very clearly we've established over the past couple of hours, is about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what you're about to tell us mm -hmm. is that they apply that verse to the Antichrist. Yeah. Which I think should show you how Antichrist dispensationalism is. It's really bad. Because this is Jesus' scripture. And, and it really needs to be about him. Um, according to Walverd, this refers to the coming world ruler at the beginning of the last seven years, who is able to gain control over 10 countries in the Middle East. That goes back to Daniel's prophecies of the 10 toes, which we saw was fulfilled. Okay. He will make a covenant with Israel for a seven year period. See, you didn't even know what you believed before. Did you? We know it better than they do. As Daniel 9.27 indicates, in the middle of the seven years, he will break the covenant, stop the sacrifices being offered in the temp temple that was already being rebuilt. And, uh, and that's why everybody's like, ooh, they're rebuilding a temple. Did you hear about it? Daniel's coming, coming past. Um, rebuilt in that period and become their persecutor instead of their protector, fulfilling the promises of Israel's day of trouble. Jeremiah 35. You know why this is seven. also really awful? Because they put the Antichrist ending sacrifices instead of Jesus. Jesus. Uh, why would Daniel see an Antichrist in the future? Doing his thing in some sort of rebuilt temple. First, he doesn't predict a rebuilt temple. He doesn't predict the destruction of the temple. And he doesn't predict Jesus coming. And he doesn't predict Jesus' death. And he doesn't predict Jesus' resurrection. He goes straight in these four kingdoms. He literally skips over Jesus and his first coming and goes straight to an antichrist in Jesus' second coming. This is why we have been losing for the past 100 years. Because mm. we're basically all... God love you Mormons. We're basically all Mormons because we have taken something from the text and created a cult. Modern end times theology. I love you, but you, the, the belief system is akin to a cult. It's a cult. It is a, a cult like practice. And what happens with cult like practices? You, you bring in demons. And this modern end times theory has unleashed more demonic hell over the world in the past 100 years than you could ever imagine. Amen. And that's why we're doing this whole show. Because we have to stop it. We have to stop it. We are not looking for an antichrist. It's almost as if people's belief in the antichrist is greater than their belief in Jesus. Wow. And they're true. looking for the Antichrist eagerly waiting him. But I'm looking for Jesus to come. No, you're looking for the Antichrist to come. Whoa.
But Leah, I'm looking for the Antichrist to come because then Jesus comes. I know, but you're still looking for the Antichrist to come. Mm-hmm. And there and, and Daniel wasn't talking about Antichrist. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about what Jesus would do on the cross. He's talking about the salvation that he would bring. And to say that that, and to put that into, and it, the text doesn't allow for it. Why? Just ask, ask your dispensationalist friends, why would Daniel not see Jesus? His first, ad, his first coming. Why would they, Daniel not see Jesus coming? And the Messiah coming? And why if Jesus was saying, the Son of Man is here, the Son of well, Man is here, I'm the Son of Man. They, they, they say that he saw Jesus coming, but he only saw him coming the second time. And But why does Jesus refer himself as the Son of Man in Daniel? Then, now, here, it's come. Daniel's prophecies are fulfilled in me now. Yeah. And I have a whole big teaching on Jeremiah 30 and 31, and I hope I can give it to you guys soon because you're going to see that the dispensationalist view, Jeremiah 30, is not fulfilled yet, and it has been fulfilled, and it's fulfilled in Jesus. Pentecost states, this is a person, this covenant will be made with many, that is, with Daniel's people, the nation of Israel. This is what the dispensationalists do. The ruler will come, Daniel 9.26, will be this covenant maker, for that person is the antecedent of the word in his in he he in the verse 27 as a yet future ruler he will be the final head of the fourth empire the little horn and the fourth beast it hurts my head it hurts my spirit many problems plague this interpretation several of which uh, we're going to talk about uh, we talked about before we're going to go over this again the covenant here is not made it's confirmed and eh. Antichrist coming to make one? No, no, no. Confirming a covenant. Jesus was coming to confirm the new covenant. Why would Daniel not prophesy the new covenant? I want to insert something while you're talking, guys. Because this is Revelation Red Pill, okay? The way that we are presenting Daniel with kind of a slight bit of frustration is because we are trying to unbrainwash modern end times theory from the masses who have been brainwashed for the past 150 years, okay? Normally, prior to modern end times theory, when you were, and, 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 and we weren't trying to unbrainwash people, we would be excitedly telling you, and this is this, and this is this, and this is this, and this is this. But when you're hearing the frustration, it's actually a grieved spirit of, I'm so sad that the church has been led astray for so long. And we have to break down what have they been teaching? What does the Schofield Reference Bible teach? What, what do dispensationalists have to believe in order to come up with the modern end times theory that they believe? And then we have to give you what is essentially we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus right. Christ. So number one, the covenant here is not made. It's confirmed. So it can't be some sort of other person. It's confirmed. Who can infer the covenant but Jesus? The usual word for the initial establishment of the covenant is karat, to cut. Here the word is higbar, to confirm. This, then, is a confirming of a covenant already in existence, the covenant of God's redemptive grace that Christ confirms, and we read that in Romans 15, 8. The word confirmed, higbar, is the emphatic form of gabar, 
Not only does the root term itself indicate a confirming of covenant, but it in its present form, it is an expression too strong to apply to a covenant made, then broken by the Antichrist. The term is related to the name of the angel of God who delivers the message of Daniel, Gabriel, which means God is strong. The lexical correspondence between the name of God's strong angel, Gabriel, and the making and making the strong Higbar of the covenant suggests the covenant's divine nature. Hmm. This is God, Higbar. He is confirming his covenant. Higbar, it is strong. It is God. It is divine. Not an antichrist. Not some sort of, he can't make a covenant anyways. In addition, covenantal passages frequently employ related terms when speaking of the strong, of the strong God of the covenant. The parallelism between verses 26 indicates the death of the Messiah directly relates to the confirming of the covenant. He is cut off, but not for himself, mm. for he confirms the covenant for the many of Israel. His cutting off confirms the covenant. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22. As Christ puts it, this is my blood of the new covenant that I am going to Higbar confirm to you, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I Jesus himself in Matthew 26 is, is relating to them the cutting off and the confirming the Higbar of the covenant. I'm going to confirm this to you I, by my very blood. That take this. His, the, he explains to you the confirming the covenant. Take and eat my body, drink my blood. When we, when we, when we take communion, we are higbaring. We are confirming this covenant. That's good. He, I am going to confirm it with the blood of my my flesh, mm -hmm. the, the blood of my bones and the my flesh and blood. Okay. The indefinite pronoun he does not refer back to the prince who is to come. The verse, the word prince, is a subordinate noun. The people is the dominant noun. Thus, he refers to the last dominant individual mentioned, the Messiah. The Messiah is the leading figure in the whole prophecy, so that even the destruction of the temple results from his death. Um. In fact, the people who destroy the temple are provincially his armies, according to Christ. Matthew 22, 2-7. And let's just get to that. I'm going to read Matthew 22, just real quick. So you guys can know, what am I talking about? Don't just throw scriptures at me. And we're almost actually done. Uh, we're gonna Y'all have done so well. I am so proud of you because tonight's show, someone had to leave from DLive because they were like, so this discussion is kind of above my pay grade. I just got saved a couple of years ago. I've only been to church like the past year. I'll come back. But this is a little bit. Tonight's discussion on the Revelation Red Pill Wednesday is definitely you guys have earned this spot after 14 weeks okay you have done 13 weeks of revelation red pill and now you're here anybody else just trying to jump right in this may be a bit above your pay grade too and that's okay you can go back and watch all the other episodes right so matthew 22 is the marriage dinner and jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and he sent forth his servants to call that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come again he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are bidden behold i prepared a dinner my i've killed all the good food come on and come and it says when the king um 
heard that they were up. Uh, sorry, I don't want to skip ahead. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So this is Jesus coming, and they killed the disciples. And when the king heard thereof, he was, or the, I think it's the prophets, heard thereof, he was robbed, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Okay, thanks, Mom. So in the death, oh, shoot. In the death of Christ, that Judaism is legally covenantally disestablished, bringing an end to the sacrifice and offering, Hebrews 7. The sacrifices are a legal confirmation of the divine covenant with the covenant people of Israel. Psalm 50, you want to read that? Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. An unbreakable connection exists between the death of Christ and the ultimate destruction of the temple. Okay, a connection between legal cause and judicial effect. And um, Luke 20, 14 through 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke 20, go ahead. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the error. The heir come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy this husbandman and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. Through 18. And he beheld them and said, what is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the, of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And from that time, the chiefs and the scribes uh, sought to lay hands on him, and they feared him, uh, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. them. So Jesus' death would bring their ultimate destruction. All right. Conclusion, a careful study of Daniel's 70 weeks removes from our future the judgmental devastation in its latter verses. Only hermeneutical gymnastics, meaning you take a bunch of scriptures, a suspension of sound reason, and um, a, just prior commitment. a prior commitment to the dispensational system allows the importing of a massive gap into Daniel's prophecy. Such interpretation, such interrupts the otherwise chronolo chronologically exact time frame. Yet this gap is necessary if we project Daniel's 70th week into the future. But as we have shown above, not only is this difficult to do, but it's wholly unnecessary. Daniel's famous prophecy finds fulfillment in the first century era. Consequently, the pessimistic expectation of many evangelical Christians rooted in this passage is without warrant. Now, I do have, we could take some questions. I do have a cool kind of little video if you guys want to watch it of um, you want to do questions Dr. Al Garza, who um, talks about Antichrist is not found, nor does the Hebrew hint at the word he, which points to anything but the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's now, really cool. As breaks it I think most people that have been tuning in for tonight would be like, of course, that's about Jesus. So why do we even care? Because again, going back to dispensationalism and modern end times theory, they literally say that what we just read in Daniel 927 mm -hmm. is about the Antichrist. Yeah. But it can't be. And that's why, um, you want to watch the whole thing? Well, yeah, but you can put it on one, two, one point five times. Let's see if people can follow. All right. Let me see if I can watch this on YouTube here. And, uh, the Jewish Institute.com. All right, let's do this. Let's put it in theater mode. Yeah, maybe it'll do one, two, five. Try that. We'll try. Lee and I listen to everything like on two times. One, two, five. One, two, five or one and a half. Let's see. One and a half. Let's try it. It might be, it might work. 
Let us know if it's too fast and we will slow it down. I promise. Well, now, turn up a little bit. It's as loud as it goes. Okay. Is understanding Daniel 9, 27 yes, the, important? Yes, the uh, reason this is important is because we're dealing with a portion of scripture that many uh, so-called prophecy Bible teachers or self-proclaimed experts of prophecy, uh, specifically in, in, in this panel of 16, have misapplied and misinterpreted uh, Daniel 9, 26, 27, because they either do not know the Hebrew or they do not understand the grammatical structure of these, how these passages lie within the Hebrew grammar, uh, within the Hebrew language itself. So what we need to do is we need to go to the Hebrew text and ask ourselves, what does the Hebrew say grammatically uh, and how should we understand it? the way Daniel intended us to understand. And the reason why we need to look at this is because these so-called experts, what they do is they change the he, which refers to a specific individual, and calls him the Antichrist. That the he refers to the Antichrist. This Antichrist confirms a seven-year peace covenant with the nation of Israel. That will begin the final 70th week of Daniel's response. After a long period of world desolation, then comes the last yeah. seven. That begins with one event, the signing of the seven-year covenant between Israel and the Antichrist, which triggers the last seven years. Because you look at the next thing that Daniel said, he skipped down to the time of the end, and he mentioned the fact that the Antichrist would sign a covenant with many. He would confirm a covenant, is the Bible word, with many, for a, a period of one week of years. So you've got a gap there. With the return of Jesus to take the church out of the world, soon after that event, with the signing of a treaty of some kind, brokered by Antichrist, that last uh, week of years this will begin. This is what dispensationalists say. Uh, the Hebrew grammar is clear. If we look at the text and we see that even within the text where people have said, uh, referring to the Antichrist, that he being the Antichrist, they, they point to the fact where it is the prince who is to come. And they say that where it says, and he shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and his angel be flood, that uh, referring to, uh, and a people and a prince who shall come, that this is the prince or the Antichrist. Uh, nowhere in the text does it say Antichrist, as we, as we just heard, uh, they add Antichrist into the passage, which is not fair. They'll add uh, other words and phrases that is not as foreign. The the people and prince is an indefinite noun. It is not does not have a definite article in Hebrew. Yet to have a, a definite article in Hebrew, we have to have the Hebrew he in front of the noun. Uh, this would be an example of a word like uh, the prophet Hanavi. Uh, if you say Hanavi, then it'd be the prophet. If you just say Navi, it's a prophet. Uh, Hamelch the king, or just Melek, king. Or we have Hamalek, the messenger, or Malak, is just a messenger. So without the he, it's just a, a uh, an indefinite noun, which, which is the, the he, the, the uh, verse 27, he shall confirm the he, goes back to the antecedent. The antecedent goes back to the subject noun in the text. The proper noun does not have to have the article. Proper noun meaning like, if I said Egypt, Egypt is the proper noun. Uh, this text, Messiah the Prince, is the proper noun, Messiah, who is the Prince. This is the Messiah. So he is the subject of the text, which the he who will confirm grammatically has to go back to Messiah, which is the proper noun. The indefinite nouns, uh, people and a prince in the Hebrew, uh, it cannot refer to either one with the he. And to say Antichrist, when there is no Antichrist, is adding to the text, which is dangerous. Relation is kicked off with the uh, signing of the agreement, covenant, between the Antichrist and Israel still in the yet future. It ultimately ushers in as well the tribulation period uh, that we know is coming, and that is the final seven-year period. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find any seven-year uh, tribulation, the time frame seven years. Nowhere in, the, nowhere in the New Testament, not mentioned by Yeshua, Jesus of course, or Shaul, Paul, 
or any of the, the other uh, disciples or apostles, Peter, James, John, and so forth. And I find a three and a half years mentioned whether it be Revelation or whether it be the Gospel of Marius, but a seven-year tribulation is never found in Scripture. Also, we understand that the Messiah is the context of Daniel. He is what is the subject and the context behind Daniel. Uh, any other uh, application is simply wrong when we look at it from the Hebrew or even the Aramaic, the grammatical structure they have the Aramaic. The only thing we have is Messiah in the text. In fact, if we look at <coughs> the Hebrew grammar and we hear what it says, it says there are three types of definite nouns in Hebrew. Uh, the most common definite nouns are those occurring with the Hebrew definite article. Proper nouns, example Egypt, and nouns with possessive pronouns, your book, are also considered to be definite. So, since a people of prince are indefinite, they're not proper nouns, they're not definite nouns, uh, and there's no, uh, you know, regarding he, we're going back to any one of them, the text goes back to the antecedent. Now, what is an antecedent? An antecedent, as I will define in a Hebrew dictionary, the antecedent is this, which says, the co-referring to any pronoun points back to you. For example, Jimmy was running in the hall and tripped over his shoelace. The antecedent of the pronoun, his, is Jimmy. So again, who is the he shall confirm goes back to Messiah, the prince. A people and a, uh, and a prince have nothing to do with this context of the Antichrist. It says, what about the New Testament? So when we look at passages, uh, going back to the uh, New, New Testament themselves, we find things in Matthew 26, 28. This is the blood of my new covenant, the Berit Hadashah. We're going to go back to the Berit of, the, of Daniel 9, 27. Uh, Hebrews 9, which is, uh, he is the mediator of a new covenant, the Messiah, Berit Hadashah. Uh, again, uh, he is the, his shed blood is called in Hebrews 12, 24, the blood of the everlasting covenant, Berit, in, in, in Hebrew, Berit being again, the covenant made with the, the, uh, the prophets uh, to be fulfilled in the, in the coming of the Messiah. So Daniel 9, 27, the Hegbir, Again, Messiah, three and a half year ministry, the Roman, uh, the Roman army come against Jerusalem, three and a half year a battle, exactly three and a half years, gives us seven. And what we find by the early church is that in many of the early church and in the Talmud that this, that Daniel 9 has been fulfilled completely, nothing left out. What about adding Antichrist? Uh, yeah, I find this interesting that they would uh, add the word Antichrist into this, which is very dangerous because nowhere in this passage even hints to an Antichrist. In fact, the people of a prince, referring in prophesying of the Roman army, Titus being that prince uh, who came against Jerusalem, have nothing to do with the fact when we read uh, the rest of this, uh, that uh, shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuaries, and shall be the flood to the end of the war, deathless of decreed. Every, every uh, historian, every biblical scholar agrees that this is, of course, the 70 AD. Um, but they go on and they add that he as Antichrist, uh, which is foreign, foreign to the text. In fact, when you diagram this text, which here's how it should read, even for the Hebrew, uh, diagramming uh, Daniel 9, 27, reads this way. And he, Messiah, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he, Messiah, shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease in the temple. And for the overspreading of abomination, he, Messiah, shall make the temple desolate even until the consummation of that determined by Messiah shall be poured out upon the desolate, or the ruined, the temple. So, it is Yeshua who decrees the temple to be destroyed, 
Uh, this goes back to Leviticus 26 of the curses of God that if his people does not obey his commandments, they will be, uh, he says, you will, you will not be blessed, you will be cursed, you will be stricken with famine, pestilence, you will be uh, uh, exiled from your land and killed with the sword. This goes into the Minor Prophets and Lamentations in Jeremiah. And Yeshua, as being Yahweh himself, gives this warning uh, to the Jews and says, your house will be less left desolate to you. And he prophesies this in Matthew 24, in Luke, uh, in Luke 21, in Mark 13. These same prophecies, uh, and in Luke he gives more detail of the, of the army that surrounds Jerusalem. So Yeshua himself issues the decree that your your house, the temple, will be left, left desolate. And this is the theme that Yeshua comes in, turns in, and, and turns over the change tables because they have met, made the house of God at Dennis Eve's. He tells them that he will not come back. So what did Jesus say? Again, I'm going to go right back to Jesus because Jesus quoted Daniel 9:27 in Matthew 24 verse 15. And that's in the context of the future. The future. And of course, it goes against, uh, of course, even what the gospel narratives historically have said. When Yeshua tells the disciples, when you see these things, who's the you? You disciples, you follow, when you see these things happen, when you see the temple uh, become uh, desolate, and when you see the abomination desolation erected in the temple, going back again to Daniel, that this is going to happen again. So we need to understand that this is an ongoing uh, uh, an ongoing an ongoing text speaking historically to the disciples of that time. Conclusion. This is clear from the Hebrew. Uh, there's nothing more to add as far as as you live, you as you've heard them keep saying that is Antichrist, Antichrist. When there is no Antichrist in this text, nowhere in the New Testament do you find a seven-year tribulation or a peace treaty signed. Nowhere in the New Testament. This is foreign to the New Testament. And to take a small snippet of Daniel 9:27 and try to say that this is the Antichrist, when if this is the Messiah, then you are calling the Messiah the Antichrist, and that is a dangerous thing to do in the text. And as we have seen, they, we have seen from Scripture that this is exactly what it is saying, that this is, he will confirm the covenant as Messiah. Yeah. So, and that, I know that that music was a little bit distracting. We yeah. can't remove the music there. Yeah, yeah, um, sorry. But I just, I, I think that he did a really good job of hitting home the fact that, guys, we look at two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's confirming the There's covenant. no reason Jesus. whatsoever there's no evidence. There's no proof. There is nothing to back up that you should then take the idea of a covenant and put it with an antichrist. Yeah. On the contrary, there is every reason to believe that every time these covenants are spoken of, that's only between God and his people. Only, only, only. And you notice that nowhere else in the epistles talks about the, uh, a an antichrist confirming a covenant. The only time in the covenant is talk about Jesus. Exactly. So let me get to some comments here and then we'll sign off. Minkle says, we're all in a cult and Catholics have a better doctrine. Who saw that coming? Not I. God laughs. That's really funny. I thought that was a funny joke. Uh, no kidding. Minkles. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, Minkles also says, I was brainwashed, but I've been shown over the years that I was off track. You are helping me sort through it woman to woman. How strong the delusion that I would read Daniel 10 years ago completely differently than I do now. 927 was my first clue. Mm. Um, so Sherry says, so how did those other preachers not understand the original meanings? They study the languages and often reference other original words when speaking of other scripture. Such you know, a good question. yeah, that's really good. And I think it goes back to um, how it all was created. And mm. when you go to, it's just like 
why do kids think that they could become another gender? Oh. So if you're good. taught that and you're surrounded by that, so, you know, you've got the, um, the, the dispensationalists who are decidedly deceptive and then they put it in a, Schofield was a very deceptive person mm -hmm. and he puts it in a Bible and then they read the study notes and then they go and they preach the study notes. And you know what else I would say to that though? We all know that our worldviews and our, and what I mean by worldview is we all have kind of a worldview about different things. Okay. Worldview is the best phrase to understand what I'm about to say. Our worldview will determine how we see the world. Our end times view will determine how we see the scriptures. Okay. And so, so many people have said yeah. on here, this is, it's been like a veil is lifted. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. there should only be one view and that's just reading the scriptures. There shouldn't be any kind of end times view that you then filter what you're reading through. And unfortunately, the modern end times theory came in like a veil and just caused people to refilter. And people, here's the good news. People have come out of it. They are coming out of it. And it's, it's very, very freeing. Uh, James says, thanks ladies. This just keeps getting better by the week. I'm so proud of you guys <laughs> for sticking with this. Cause I know these are long. I know that they are a lot. And the fact that you guys stay through and keep coming back every week is encouraging the emails that we get from you guys. Honestly, revelation red pill Wednesdays has been the most, has been the most explosive thing that we've ever done. We get more feedback about this than we do about anything else that we do. I want to leave you with a bonus scripture. Bonus. Um, so I have throughout the, my entire Bible here, different, what I call Revelation Red Pill scriptures. So Luke 19, 38, uh, Jesus was coming um, in his triumphal entry and they were saying, blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and the glory in the highest. Is it, what does the king have? A scepter, a crown, a throne. A dominion. Okay, a dominion. Yeah, so going back to... There were dominion. a lot of answers Sorry. that you could have got there. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude, this was Jesus coming in on the donkey, said, Master, rebuke your disciples because they're calling you Messiah. Basically, they're calling you Daniel. Man, Daniel's Messiah and king of the dominion. And he said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, then the stones would cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept. Hmm saying, if you had known, even you, at least in this day, the things which belong to your peace, but now they are hid from your eyes, for the days will come upon you that your enemies shall cast a trench about you, Jerusalem shall be sur surrounded by armies, and can pass you round about and keep you in on every side. And this is what happened in AD 70. And they will lay you even to the ground and your children within you. So within that generation, you and this and your children. So when he was talking about um, re, uh, confirming that covenant, it was you and your children, okay, within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you didn't know the time of your visitation. The time of your visitation. The Messiah was coming. He was coming so to confirm the covenant. And here's the thing. It happened in AD 70. Not one stone was left upon another. That's really good. And why would Jesus weep? He looked at the city and he wept over that city. 
It's so simple. It's painfully simple. It's beautifully simple. It's beautifully simple. <laughs> it's only painful when you think about people not seeing it. Exactly. Not being able to see it. It makes me excited. It makes me excited that now what I hope to get to sometime in the future is opening up your promises, more of your promises and Jeremiah. And So what are we doing next Isaiah? week? I think we're going to have Corey Gray on probably, maybe Rob Allen. Anything else? I don't know yet. We haven't decided. So it's no man knows the day or the hour. You do know the day and the hour. It's going to be Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be right back here on Rumble, DLive, Clout Hub, and Facebook for episode 15, which we you have know, undecided when topic. when we have Corey on, and probably when we have Rob on, we're probably going to get the messages like, oh, that one was so much easier to get. <laughs> this one, these past two weeks, we have put me through an AP course, college AP course, and I don't know how much of it I can handle. Could you just tell me the good news of how we apply it and farm and stuff? Why, why, why? Okay, so speaking of Corey Gray and Serge DeRosa and Jason Heidinger, they do Kingdom Roundtable every Monday at 8 p.m. It's so good. Same time. Go listen to the last one about the organic. The last two weeks have been off the hook. They've been so good. They're have, all really yeah. good. So make sure that you are tuned in. We didn't get a chance to stream it from Resistance Chicks this past week because we were down here in studio with doing David an interview Hevener. with David Hevener. So... If you're ever looking for it, someone was, I think it was In Pursuit, who was here tonight, was like, I was looking for it, and I didn't see it, and then I finally found that I had to go to just be subscribed Were to the Kingdom Roundtable. Were there any more questions on DLive or Facebook? Uh, I'll check DLive. I don't see... Um... So, Chris, I'm seeing your comments. Chris was like, I tried to get discussion on my topics. Your topics were a little off topic, which is why I didn't bring them up. Oh, what were his But topics? I'm glad that you're here. Okay. What were your topic? What was Chris's topic? topics were way, way off topic. Not even like way off topic. Not that they wouldn't be good for discussion, but this is a three-hour show and we're nearing the end. Oh, it wasn't about the Revelation even, Red Pill? No, more like Jesus, the word, and okay. his last name isn't Christ. I was reading all your comments. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to read them, but they would have taken us down rabbit trails. Um, so not that we don't appreciate you being here because we totally, absolutely do. Yeah, right. we but we try to keep it under three hours. So let's see. Mike says, I had the same realization about the evildoers trying to make the pre-millennial concept come to reality. I think, however, God will do Revelation 27 through 10 and satisfy the expectation of those who expect Christ in connection with tribulation to the surprise of the evildoers. LOL. Those church fathers did not recognize nor fully see the fall of the Roman Empire. They also did not realize what the kingdom of God is. So, and Mike, my mom last week was like, you have to get in touch with Mike. So, um, Mike sent me a really great email and message. Mike has this kingdom message. He's had it for a while. He's really versed in it. And, um, we're going to see Mike about getting you on the show to kind of explain the way you see things. And, uh, cause he has almost in some ways a better grasp on some of these things than I do. Um, so I, I can hear it the way he, he, uh, delivers it. He's That's got awesome. it in his bones. And Mike's been following us for, I don't even a really long time. It feels like years, years. Um, so, all right, you guys, if there are no more questions, we're going to sign off. So glad that you're here. Don't forget, we do a news program, not just this. If maybe you just tune in for this and you don't know, we talk about the news every week at Friday on Fridays. 
at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Brighteon.tv. And then we do an after show right here on all these all your favorite platforms that we go live also, on. Also, you guys, I, I, I've i been, we have a Facebook group. For, or, True Kingdom Community on Facebook. True Kingdom Community on Facebook. And if you want to join that, if you want to join the discussion. It's not our group, but Serge started it, and he's hoping it just kind of takes on a life of its own. People will answer questions, so True Kingdom Community. And finally, you guys. If you are not, if you are still in an IRA, Come if on. you still are in a 401k, is it 401? 401k? It's 401k. Every time I think I'm trying to say it the right way, and you, I can say O. It's 401k. Yes. 401k. Because I don't have one. You can say I don't, I don't have one. Um, you guys, we need to be pulling out of the system. And how do we set up the kingdom? Okay. You grow your own food. You get off of the system. And if you are still in this system, this world system, and you still have your savings, because it's all God coming down, help you. I'm telling you, okay. We are. Everybody's feeling something coming. All right. Let me tell you, I've got a little hint for you. It's not the apocalypse, but it's going to be a reset, a re God's great reset, God's monetary reset. And if you guys haven't watched our show on constitutional money, we are going to go, we are going to go hard on constitutional money because the Lord has revealed to me. And I hope he reveals to you that gold and silver is God's money. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. He hates unjust weights and balances. So if you want to start honoring God and obeying God, get all of your cash money. out. out of, listen, Lynette Zhang is great. She's like, listen, they have a way to help you make a strategy on how to have how much in a farm, how much in food, how much in cash reserves. But if you've got your savings, if you've got your 401k, if you've got your IRA, these things, this stock market is going to go boom. If you want to shelter yourself and preserve that wealth, you've got to be in gold and silver. Well, and here's the thing, guys. You've got to do it yesterday. Um, Chris leaves in the comment. Wait, we went from biblical to finance. Wow. Chris, you haven't been tuning into Revelation Red Pill. So, and I, so there's a lot of grace for you here, right? This is the kingdom message. The kingdom of God is right now. We rule, we reign, we take dominion right now. And how do we do that? We do it through farming. We do it through um, not just farming. That's a, that's a really bad term Food, there. Food, shelter, barterability, wealth preservation. Self-reliance, reliance on God, interacting with the creation that he made for us, literally pulling from the system, okay, and ruling and reigning in this world. Abraham's promises, the land promises. It's not enough to have this knowledge in our head. We have to walk how it out. How do we apply it? The only reason how why- How do we apply it? The only reason why the body of Christ is, doesn't look like they're winning right now it's because we're starting in their system. Because we're still in the system. We're still under their kingdoms. Everything that we do is about getting out of their system and getting in line with the system that God what designed. What does the kingdom the have? Kingdom has gold and silver. Kingdoms have a way to financially trans transact. And the whole point, the whole point of us doing the Revelation Red Pill, this biblical, there is no biblical world and natural world. Yeah. It is all one world. And I hope you guys get this deep in your soul. This is not here for tickling ears and for everybody like, oh, that was a really good discussion. Okay. I like to learn that. No. How you do need we to learn it? the kingdom of God that he came to bring? It's good news. Which is how do we find our provision and reliance on him? Right. And if we are not 
if we're not doing, uh, if we're not conversing with one another mm. in a proper way, and the one way I listen, Kelly says absolutely, hundred percent. We already 100%. show you guys how to can, how to grow your own food. We have pigs. We have, but we have to be able to have a God-based money system. Mm. And 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 I know there's only a short time frame for you guys to get out of your your worldly. Listen, I'm telling you to grow your own food. I can show you how to do that. I can't show you how to get your IRA into gold and silver. That's why we partner with ITM Trading because you guys are asking me, what do I do with my retirement savings? So let me tell you what's really cool about ITM Trading. Not only have they been doing this for 27 years, but they are a physical gold and silver dealer, which means what, Leah? If you don't hold it, you don't own it. You, you will get it. gold and silver directly from them in your hand. It's not gold futures. It's not like all this stuff that somebody else is going to hold on to it. They're going to send it to you. Okay. And you, something will change in your everything when you transition from the false, unjust weights and balances of paper dollars. And credit cards. Come on and preach it. Okay. That's why I, I, I'm trying to make more time at the end of these shows Mm -hmm. to go over the things that you need to do to manifest the kingdom and i don't i don't leave enough time and so it sounds like you're i'm rushing into i want to answer sue's question yeah sue says we have a farm we are pretty self-reliant it's just my husband and i now we're in our 60s he gets a not very big social security check i do odd jobs for extra cash now and then how do we afford gold we never have spare money wait full stop okay itm trading is for those that have savings They've got this money and it's not going to be worth anything very, very soon. Okay. And we need to pull that money out of the system and put it where it goes. Sue, you're like us. Sue, you're like us. All right. So we are in the same exact boat. Let me tell you something. We have used for years SD Bullion. That's S-D-B-U-L-L-I-O-N. And this is what we tell everyone on our show. If you have more than $2,000 that you need to pull from the system, Go with ITM trading. You really need to go with somebody that knows what they're doing and just go down that. That's 1-866-950-7776 or learn.itmtrading.com forward slash chicks. All the links are on our, on our sites. However, we are not partnered with SD Bouillon. And I will tell you, and I have gotten like literally not just the approval, but the request from ITM trading to tell everyone that has less than $2,000 to either go to moneymetalsexchange.com or sdbouillon.com and just get a little bit. We buy junk silver. That's my, I'm talking about those silver and dimes that your grandma told you to look for that doesn't have the gold or, you know, ring around it or whatever. It's 90%. That's, those are kind of a little bit more expensive, but let me tell you something. You do got them. When I have an extra 35 bucks, this is what I buy. Okay. And I will make an order from them. I will save that up, right? And make like a hundred dollar order. I will go in with my uncle. You can do that. You can go in with somebody else if you want to make a larger order to save on shipping and, and whatever. Okay. But to me, a larger order is like $300. Okay. We do not, we purposefully keep our income low and we purposefully do we not, we do not seek after money. We seek after God's provision, which is food animals, the land. But if you've got savings, I want you guys to be the banker. I want you guys to be your own central bank. Be the banker. Yes. Have the gold and silver. So you can do, and and here's what I would say. With the junk silver or these um, silver eagles, 
All right, Leah called them a round. They're not actually rounds. Rounds are bullion. You don't want to buy those. Well, you can actually. You totally could. Those are even cheaper than these, by the way. Um, if you have very little, little money, get some bullion. What's bullion? Bullion is a round that's in this shape that's one ounce of silver, but it's not minted by the U.S. government. All right, or another there's national no, there's no spot government. On it. No all right, spot price on it. so those are that's a good way to get into silver, a very cheap way. You would then have to have an extra, like I said, twenty five, thirty dollars. You don't have to buy gold. Don't buy gold. I hardly ever buy gold. I mean, hardly ever buy gold. We send our people who want to buy gold to ITM Trading because yes. we're not there. <laughs> we already did our big thing, right? Which wasn't even that big, but when we had a chunk of savings. That's already done, right? And so now we just, every time we get extra money, it goes into land or a grain mill or something or more animals or whatever. And a little bit of silver. And here a little there. bit of silver here and there. That's how we do it. And that's ask we recommend God for other it. people. Ask God. Say, God. That's the answer right there. If you want me to have Come silver on. and gold, have me, show me how to get it and give me some seed money for it. I'm going to tell you all something. A testimony from my friend, Catherine. All right. I had an extra bee, uh, colony of bees. I said, you need to buy the hive. It's going to be about $350, $350. I said, please get two or $375. I said, please get two. It's going to be about $750 for two. She said, I don't have the money for two. I said, I'll supply the bees. You just need to buy the boxes and the frames and the whole setup. She said, I have the money for one. Let's just do one. I was like, okay, fine. So we get her the one. I install her bees. Her mom drops off the money. She was going to owe me a little bit more. She drops off 300 bucks. She said, Michelle, I'm going to pay you the rest. It was going to be like $75 or whatever it was. I'll pay you the rest later, but my mom's dropped off 350 bucks. This was just what, yesterday, the day before, two yesterday. days ago? I opened up the envelope and I sent her a text message. I said, I thought we were just doing one hive. I only bought you one, one box of bees. She said, we are just doing one hive. I said, there's an envelope here with 750 bucks. She goes, I only put $300 in there. I said, well, there's 750 bucks here. We asked her mom. We asked everybody. No one knows where this extra cash money came from. Like 450 bucks. It's enough literally down to the penny to get her the two hives that I told her she, she should have. She goes, well, Michelle, I guess we're just going with God wants me to have the two hives. Okay. So don't tell me that if you ask God for something, he won't give it to you. All right. Ask God. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance for you, right? Ask God for that. All right. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. Remember, it's not just a conspiracy theory. If it's actually the truth, tune in every Wednesday right here for Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. You don't want to miss this. Don't forget to share these with your friends and your family. Jack says, I got a wagon full of gold currently. I'm following uh, Jack. Jack, where you live, buddy? Where you live, buddy? I think he's... I know. I, I know, Speaking I know. By I, faith. Love it. I love it, I love it, I love Speaking it. Speaking by faith. All right, you guys. We'll see you on Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Be there or be square. We'll see you next time. God bless. I was called.